fight the sickness and they live longer than anticipated, but then they got tired. And when they got tired, they died. That's in the natural. Now, let's go on the spiritual. I'm telling you that for telling you a reason why I need you to think about that. Because sometimes in Christianity, we get tired of pushing. We get tired of continuing to press forward. We get tired of wanting to go to the next level as the preacher is telling you, come on, we got to go to the next level. And some of you are saying, I'm tired. Well, when you decide you're tired and you can't fight no more, you're dying. You're dying. So fighting in the spiritual and in the natural is you really don't have a choice in that matter. You either fight or you die. And a lot of us want to, we want to grow. We want to get to the place we want to get to in Christ. But we're tired. And, 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 and we don't have what we need to fight that fight. And so because of that, we feel like, man, I want to grow. I want to move forward. But we're not doing anything about it. We romanticize growth. But we don't actually put the working the work in so we can grow. And so I am saying that just to say either you're going to fight and grow or you stop fighting and you're going to die. You can die spiritually and find yourself far away from God and wonder what happened. How did I get here? Well, I'm telling you tonight how you got there if you get there. And that is you decided you couldn't fight anymore. We don't have a choice in the matter of fighting. We fight to grow. We fight to survive. And if we stop fighting, we start dying. So we don't have a choice in the matter if we want to grow. The other thing we have to think about as Christians, we cannot be reactionary like majority of society. You are reactionary when you have no clue of what's going on. Everything that God does, he tells his children. So for us to be reactionary, we may not be in lock and step with the Lord. Because if we're in tune with the Lord, we will know what's ahead. But if we're not in tune with the Lord, we're reacting to everything. And so we can't be reactionary. We have to be proactive. We have to know the things we need to do so we can be ahead of what's going on in this world. And if we're going to be in God's will, we have to be proactive. We can't be reactive. We don't have a choice in growth and we cannot be reactive. And so we have to make up in our mind, I got to grow. Because here's why I'm telling you this. I realized that sometimes I tell myself, man, I'm busy. And sometimes, literally, I am busy. But there are other times when, literally, I'm not busy. So what's happening is, growth takes place from the inside first. And when you're growing, because you're not always accustomed to the things you're interacting with in your growth, you feel overwhelmed a little bit because you're trying to figure out what is going on. 
and you're grasping new information. And so because all of this is working, you're figuring, oh, my goodness, I feel so like I'm growing or like I'm overwhelmed, whatever the case may be. And you might even label it as being busy. But in actuality is you're growing. So take, take, take it back to another thought of what I said. When we are complacent and comfortable, we're not growing. Because when you're growing, you feel overwhelmed. And, and, and even when you may not be literally busy doing something all the time, your mind is so consumed with the things of the kingdom that you know things are going on. Even though I'm not moving physically, things are going on. And that lets you know, okay, I'm engaged in growth. I'm engaged in the things of God. And that's how you know. So growth will always come that way where you feel overwhelmed. Because things are happening that's kind of out of your control. And you're saying, man, I feel like I'm just busy. And you may not be taking a whole lot of trips. You may not be running here, running there, but you're overwhelmed. Growth. Growth. And so I feel like, well, not let me change the word feel. I know I'm in a time of growth in my life. Because if I'm going to help you grow, I got to grow. And so I'm in a time of my life of growth. And you being a part of this church need to be in that place as well. Challenge yourself not to be complacent that even if you're tired, push forward. You can't give up because if you give up when you feel like you're tired, you're going to start dying. Remember the example I gave you. Many people that have been sick in the hospital live longer than anticipated because they decided to fight. And some may not have lived as long as they could because they decide, I'm tired, not fighting anymore. And how many people have slipped away from us because they said, I'm tired. And we have to really get that in our heart spiritually. If you say you're tired, okay. But what are you doing? Are you just going to just let go of the rope because you're tired? Or are you going to press on no matter what? And that's where we call on the Lord to say, Lord, I need your strength because I'm tired. Do we pray like that sometimes? Got to pray like that sometimes. Lord, I'm tired. I need your help. I need your strength because in order for me to go and do what you want me to do, I need to fight the good fight of faith and I need your strength right now because right now I'm tired. I'm worn out. So we have to challenge ourselves. I am going to challenge you as a church how we have to grow because if we become complacent and say we're tired, we're going to die spiritually. And if you ever make it back, the road to making it back from death spiritually is not an easy road. Mama Allen always say, when you backslide, there's no guarantee you will ever get back to where you used to be. So you don't want to take the chance to backslide because if you do, there's no guarantee you'll ever make it back. No guarantee you'll ever get saved. So we can't take our lack of fighting for granted because we can find ourselves in a place where we say, how did I get here? 
And believe you me, there's a lot of people today that was in the church on fire for the Lord that are wondering, what am I doing here today and trying to figure out how to get from that place to where they need to go? And they can't get there for some reason. And they would tell you that themselves. Let's stand. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to get into some things tonight that are going to challenge you. You do them and you're fighting the good fight of faith to make sure you don't die. You don't do them, you're just going to die. And it's not the will of God that you die. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight for the gathering of the saints of God. We're grateful, Lord, for this privilege to come together to study the word of God. We humble ourselves before you tonight, Lord Jesus, for we want your reign to be over us tonight as we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, you are our God and we want your will to be done in us. We want your will to be done in our Bible study tonight and we yield ourselves to you, Lord God. And we ask, Almighty God, that you will have preeminence over our lives and in this church tonight, Lord God. We submit to your authority, Lord God, and we ask that you will constrain us according to your will. Will you speak to us through me, your servant, Lord God, to rightly divide the word of truth and to encourage and to challenge, Lord God, and to set in order the will and the plan of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us, that the Holy Spirit, Lord God, will stir us, and that we will receive all that you have in store for us, Lord God. Oh, Lord, have your way in this place. Oh, Lord, stir up the gift that's inside of us tonight. Oh, God, challenge us, Lord God, and equip us, Lord God. Impart to us what you will, Lord God. We seek your face. We call on your name. We ask for your will to be done. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have your way, sweet Jesus. Have your way, O oh great God. As we give you the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. I need some water. Please. Hallelujah. We've been talking about, um, well, the past few weeks we had um, our minister's minister. And before I left, thank you, sir. Before I left, we were talking about strategic evangelism made practical. And I'm back to that strategic evangelism made practical. Our text was taken from Matthew chapter five, verse number 14. 
I like the topic because it's really, if you investigate the topic, you will see that is clearly what we're talking about here. Strategic evangelism made practical. Matthew 5, verse number 14 says this. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We've been talking a little bit about salt and light. The Lord told us we are the salt of the earth. He also told us we are the light of the world. And so we want to look at this a little bit and continue to search out the scriptures to see what the Lord is wanting us to understand. As salt makes a difference in people's food, light makes a difference in their surroundings. Jesus came as the light of of all people and would later explain I am the light of the world whoever follow me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life Christ's disciples must live for Christ somebody say amen if you're a disciple of Christ you should say amen Christ's disciples must live for Christ Shining like light in a dark world. Showing clearly what Christ is like. Mm -hmm. Who could hide a city that is sitting on top of a hill? Who could do that? Lanterns glowing from behind its walls send a light at night that can be seen for miles because Jesus is the light of the world. His followers must reflect his light. If we live for Christ, we will glow like lights, showing others what Christ is like. It is the light of Christianity that solves the deepest questions and answers the most anxious inquiries of mankind. I mentioned to our leaders last night on our leadership Zoom that as we're praying for the shooting in Texas, as we prayed and continue to pray for the shooting in Buffalo, as we pray and continue to pray for Ukraine and all the things that are happening around our world. Understand this. We are reacting to those things. And while we pray and ask and petition God to go and do what only he can do for those people, that's all we can do. And their only hope is Christ. You don't know what it's like if you never experience it, to lose a loved one through shooting, through somebody deliberately taking their life. 
You don't know what it's like for your home to be bombed. Can't stay in there. You got to go. So you and I can't help those people in any way unless they need food or some kind of material things. That's all we can help them with. But what about their emotion? What about their mind? What? How can that? How can them become normal? How can they become normal again? With that kind of tragedy that takes place in their life. Christians are the bearers of this light into all the ends of the world. I would like to see Christians so effective in their communities that these people that the devil has gotten the best of and have given them ideas to do evil and heinous things, I would like for the church to be so proactive, so in tune with God, so being ready to be used by God that that young man or that president or, or, or that young man, whatever he was getting ready to do, he ran into a, a Christian that was full of the power of God that says, young man, I need to talk to you. And we know God give us revelation and we can say, what you getting ready to do? God knows it. And God will tell you exactly what you need to say to him to touch his heart, to make him surrender. That's what we're capable of when we're in tune with God. That's what we're capable of as Christians. But unfortunately, many of us Christians who are supposed to be light. We're trying to hide the light. Many of us Christians who are salt are trying to stay away from the proximity of those that we need to be around because that's the only way salt can affect them. So we're staying away and we're hiding the light and we get things like this in our world. I'm not telling you we're supposed to solve world issues. I'm just saying community by community. This is why the church is supposed to be in communities. Don't get me wrong. I always say, I don't know about the churches that's on the highway. (laughs) Churches are supposed to be in communities. And the communities that we're in, we need to affect them. We don't know the hurt and 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 how people were abused and 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 I'm I sense it in the spirit that there's a whole lot of depression that is in our world today that has really got to an all-time high over the past two years. And the question is, how are we helping with depression? How are we helping with people that's been abused and used and hurt? How do we help the people that are struggling and suffering? If you allow God to work through you, we can help them. But we must be salt and we must be light. Salt have to be in close proximity to have any kind of effect. And light cannot be hidden in order to have effect. Why would anyone try to hide light? Jesus asked. Unfortunately, many Christians do Just that we hide our light 
when we are being quiet when we should speak. We hide our light when we're being quiet when we should speak. Is there a time that we shouldn't speak? Yes. Is there a time that we should speak? Yes. And you're going to say, well, how do I know? You've got to be in tune with God. We hide our light when we're going along with the crowd. We're doing what everyone else is doing. Well, you don't have any answers if you're doing what everybody else is doing. Because if you had the answers, you would say, no, that way is wrong. Go this way. Are we doing that as Christians by hollering and making gestures saying, no, that's the wrong way. Come this way. Or we're just going with everyone else. Because if we're going with everybody else, we're hiding our light. We're hiding our light by dying, or should I say, denying the truth. We hear lies and we don't speak truth. Mm -hmm. We're hiding the light by not explaining the truth to others. We're hiding the light by ignoring the needs of others. Being a beacon of truth. Don't shut off your light from the rest of the world. We are shutting off our lights by rolling with everyone else. When the church is rolling along with the world, we're hiding our light. When we're trying to fit in with the world, we're hiding our light. When we're trying to forsake the, the, the standards of righteousness and holiness, we are forsaking the Lord and we're hiding our light. Sometimes we have no clue and then we don't want anyone to tell us when we're doing wrong. We got to let people tell us what they need to tell us. We're so smart now. We think what people are telling us, they don't know anything. Starting, we have to start starting spiritual conversations. Yes. We have to become better at starting spiritual conversations. Remember, I told you, that we hide our light when we stay quiet. And so there's three ways or three methods that we can use to start spiritual conversations. The first method is a direct method. The second method is an indirect method. The third method is an invitational method. Method. These are ways that we can start spiritual conversations. Let's look at the direct method of starting a spiritual conversation. Don't wait for an opportunity. Create one. Don't wait for an opportunity. Well, I'm going to wait. till No, we're talking about a direct method here. So we have to create an opportunity to start a spiritual conversation. 
raise a spiritual topic to see if they are interested in it. You don't force them, but you open the door to see if they will come through it. If they don't, take the hint. Return to a safe topic. But sometimes we have to use direct methods to start a spiritual conversation. Here are some sample questions if you want to start spiritual conversation in a direct way. You can say to someone, again, these are not Christians, and you're letting your light shine, and you're being salt. Do you ever think about spiritual things? That's your question that you're asking someone that you have been befriending, someone that you have been praying for. You get direct and you say, do you ever think about spiritual things? If you ever want to know the difference between Christianity and religion, just let me know. I'll tell you what the difference is. That's starting a spiritual conversation in a direct way. Here's another question you can ask them. How is it really going? I've done that. That one probably is one of my go-to. How are we doing today? Good, good. Or they, no one answer. So when no one answer, I go to someone and says, okay, you didn't answer. What's going on? And you know you're getting to talking about something spiritual what's going on and your what's going on is not the regular what's going on you can start spiritual conversation directly by saying do you ever wonder what happens to us when we die you can start a nice direct spiritual conversation like that that's a good one do you ever think about or even wonder what happens to us when we die? Boy, that can get something. What do you think a real Christian really is? Those are just questions you can ask someone to start a spiritual conversation. That's known, known as a direct method to start a spiritual conversation. The next method was an indirect method. Build on the direction the conversation is headed in by using the topic discussed as a bridge to relate a spiritual topic. So you listen to people talk. And as they're talking, you're listening to them and you're looking for the spiritual bridge for when you respond to them. I'll, I'll get there for you help you out with that. Sample questions. They say to you, hey, how's it going? You, your answer. Oh, it's going well. A matter of fact, it's going well financially. It's going well family wise. It's going pretty well. It's going especially pretty well spiritually. Yeah, you flip that on them real quick. So when you go up to someone and you say, hey, how are you today? I'm good. They're going to say, I'm good. They're going to probably reciprocate. Well, how are you doing? And then you can just go a little extra. We're Christians. That shouldn't be hard. Well, I'm doing good. 
really good financially. I'm doing real good family-wise. I'm doing exceptionally good spiritually. See if they take the bait. Do we do that? (laughs) They may ask you, what are you doing on the weekend? Here's a good response. Well, I enjoy working on sound equipments. I enjoy working with kids. I enjoy music. I enjoy lots of things on the weekend. And so you make that statement to them, and now they're going to ask you, where do you do that? Where do you do that? And that opens the door to an opportunity again to have a conversation about spiritual things. People need Jesus, church. And a lot of people don't know they need Jesus, but we need to know off the bat that they need Jesus. And it's not until we give them an opportunity to understand why they need Jesus will they ever understand it. So we have to make sure we help people to know who Jesus is so they can understand they need him. A lot of people don't know who he is. A lot of people don't understand what he can do for them. But not until we open that door with spiritual conversations will we get them to start being curious. Now, all of this I'm saying, it means that we have to come in contact with people that are not Christians. So understand that that's probably the first thing we got to do is befriend somebody that is not a Christian. The old school way, people want you to feel guilty. You talking to that sinner? <laughs> you talking to that sinner? And 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 so we just stay in our church house. We just stay with the saints of God, and we're just letting Christians. I'm sorry, we're just letting the world go to hell in the handbasket, as they like to say. Because we just want to stay together and talk about how good church was the day before and, you know, who we doing Bible study with. And we ain't doing nothing with nobody that's a sinner. Because we're not approaching them. We're leaving them out of our life and we're just living our life till we can be saved. And we're not living our life to befriend people that don't know Christ so we can be the the guide we can be the conduit so god can save them we're so focused on us that people can't get jesus if you ask me the delay of the return of the lord is because of the church if we were doing what we were supposed to do jesus would have came back already But because he's so good and he's so merciful, he is not penalizing this world as yet because he is saying the church isn't doing everything she needs to do. So I got to wait. I got to give them more time to hear my word. Then I will come. So if you ask me the delay of God now, that's not good news for us. Because if you ask me, for a lot of Christians, the longer you have to wait for the Lord, the more chance you might mess up. So it might not be a good thing we sit back.
distracting her. Oh, I got more time to get it right. No, if you ain't get it right by now, I'm worried about you if you've been in church any amount of time because this world's supposed to be so clear that it is a mess that you're supposed to be able to say, yeah, there's nothing going on here that I need to know about or need to be involved in. Let me live for God and give God everything I can. I know everybody have different feelings and different desires. But man, you know how I feel sometimes? Maybe that's why the Lord made me a preacher. I wish I could have one-on-one conversation with people that are not saved to talk about what are, they, what are their interests, why they won't live for God. Oh, I would love those conversations. I would love to sit down and just have people come talk to me that are not living for God. So what's your reason for not living for God? Just that's all I'm talking about. What's your reason? Because as I like to tell you, I lived in that world so good that they can't give me no subject that I'm not an expert in and move past a long time. They can't tell me any good reason why they're still in the world and seeking the world because I know Jesus and I know the world. No comparison. It's not like it's close and I can say "Eh, it's kind of close. No, no, it's not close. It's not close living for God and living out in the world. Not close. Living for God is so far superior and so far ahead of living in the world that is no discussion. But people are still living in the world. And the question is, are they living there because they're ignorant of who Jesus is? Are they still doing it because they just desire so much to sin or they're just ignorant? And I take the side of there are, for the most part, they're ignorant. I don't think it's because they just want to sin, sin, sin. I think they're ignorant a lot about who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God is all about. And if they're ignorant about it, who fault is it? We're talking about indirect method. Indirect method. We can talk to people, have conversations with them, and try to come up with some thought or some uh, uh, sentence that will be a bridge from the topic of discussion to talking about God. Do you think the Easter celebration is based on fact or fiction? A bridge question. So hold on to that one for when Easter come back around in 2023. Let's look at the invitational method, the invitational method of having a spiritual conversation. Transition the conversation by inviting them to an event that relates to the topic you are discussing. So people like to talk about a good time. I can't tell you enough. That our picnic is coming up. And that's a really good opportunity to tell people how much of a good time they would have if they would come. That's an invitational method. Invite somebody to the church picnic. We're not just having a church picnic so we can eat and get fat because Lord knows we, we eat enough already. We're having church picnic because we want a fellowship With each other, but we want people who don't know Jesus to be a part of it. 
This is why we have these things. When we have the Christmas banquet, yes, we like to dress up and have fellowship and eat. But Lord knows we have fellowship at other times. We eat at other times. So the big part of those two events is to get other people to participate. That's the big part of it. The invitational method. When you invite someone somewhere, even if they drive, suggest that you will pick them up. I can pick you up. You don't have to drive. Take some time off from driving. Let me let me pick you up. You want to do that because you kind of control the narrative. When they come to church, you can get them to in, or the picnic. You can you can introduce them to everybody. You can take your time because they drove with you. They can't sneak off like Brother D and me. We like to sneak off without saying bye. I like to do it, Brother Darrell. I like to do it. What they call it, the Irish um, goodbye? Yeah, I, I don't like to say goodbye because once you say bye in an area, it just, it's just like a lot of work sometimes. So I'd rather just, when, it's, when, I, when I think like the time is kind of getting near for the thing to be over, I just kind of get quiet and just kind of slip off. And before you know it, where did he go? I'm gone. That's the Irish goodbye. But if I rode with somebody that invited me to some place, guess what? Can't do no Irish goodbye. Got to be there until that person is ready. And hopefully that person is smart enough to know I invited them to this, this thing here. So before we leave, I got to let everybody know, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. And get that person to say bye to the person I brought. Invitational method. Do something together before or after the event. Spend some time with people that are unsaved. You are salt and you are light. We can't just be with Christians. We will never reach the lost. If all we do is come together in the house of God, we will never reach the lost. The Bible says our greatest example is Jesus. And Jesus left the 99 and went after the one. I can just picture that. I, you know, everybody get their own image of what they have in their mind. And I picture a church on fire. I mean, worship just strong. People are running around, running the aisle. I mean, it's just on fire. Church on fire. And Jesus do the Irish goodbye because he didn't see so-and-so. So-and-so been out of Dodge for a long time and Jesus just slipped out, left the 90 and 9, went after the one. Because he's interested in the people that are not saved. The ones that are saved. He said this himself, Jesus. Those who are well do not need a physician. It's those who are sick that need a physician. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Are we still just going to sit in the house of God and be comfortable and just be around each other, or we're going to go look for somebody. Go look for somebody. Befriend somebody. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying tonight, and you don't, you don't walk up to them and say, hey, you need to get saved. I didn't teach that tonight, so please don't do that. I didn't teach that tonight. Somebody you work with, somebody in your community, start befriending them. 
As a matter of fact, let me give you something that I feel like uh, uh, you can use. If you live around somebody that's from a different country than the United States, find out about their country on the DL. Find out what kind of store is close by that sell their kind of food or the stuff that they like. Go to that store and go buy something from there. You want to be their friend? Go to that store and buy something and go take it to them and go blow their mind. What you know about this? Oh, yeah, it's an African store or there's a Chinese store or whatever it is around the corner or down the street or 20 minutes from here. And I thought about you when I went and got this. Listen, I said it before and I said it again. The greatest compliment you can pay to someone that's not like you is be interested in their culture and eat their food. <laughs> you are interested in their culture and you eat their food. They will, will allow you to be in their life. That's, that's great respect that you show people when you say, you know, I like your culture. I like how you all blah, blah, blah. Hopefully you did some research and you're not just saying stuff. But you, you know what they do. And you say, I like that kind of culture. I like your food. And when you can, you bring them something from their culture because you're really letting them know how much you like what they stand for. Because you're trying to. And the easy way is, do you go to church? Are you saved? That's lazy. Lazy. I don't remember Jesus was a witness like that. I need you to change that. I need you to befriend somebody. Start doing something nice for them. Don't talk to them about Jesus until you have been a friend to them. When you've been a friend to them, now you can use those, those spiritual methods to start uh, spiritual conversations. That's down the road. But don't approach them with, with spiritual conversation and you're not their friend. Starting a spiritual conversation, pray about it, please. Take interest in the other person's world. Talk people or talk to those people one-on-one. -on -one. Pique their curiosity. How do you pique their curiosity? Buy something from their country, from their culture, and bring to them. Give them a gift that's from their place. Blow their mind because they want to know, how do you know about this? Be willing to take risk. And I don't mean doing anything ungodly. So often we're worried about ourselves. For me, taking risk is meeting someone that's Spanish and treating them real good, bringing them a nice gift, 
And then they say, we got to have you over for dinner. For me, that's taking a risk. Because they might have a pig spinning. <laughs> they might have a pig spinning over the pit fire. And I got oh, Lord. Because the bottom line now, what am I going to tell them if that's what they did? Had this big roast for me to eat. So take risk. That's all I'm saying. Take risk. And that can be a risk where someone invites you over. You don't know what they're going to feed you or how the food will look. For some of us, it might taste good, but how it looks, you don't want to put it in your mouth. That's taking a risk. But again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to be salt, which we are, and light. And we're trying to reach these people by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. Sharing my testimony. You are the ones chosen by God. You are God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of who God really is. And so one way of doing that is sharing your testimony. Sharing your testimony of what your life is all about. David did that. The woman at the well did that. I don't know if you remember, after Jesus ministered to her, she went back to a village and told him, I met a man that told me all about myself. The man who was born blind in John chapter 9, I was once blind, but now I see. He shared his testimony. Uh huh. Paul shared his testimony. On and on and on. Share your testimony. The value of your testimony, it's unique, it is personal. You're the authority of your testimony. People love a story. And they remember a story. People can relate. And it's an effective witness in this day and age. The four ways, or should I say, the four things you must use to share your testimony. Number one, you want to talk about your life before Christ. Number two, then you talk about how you realized or recognized that you needed Christ. Then you want to talk about the transformation, what you had to do to get transformed and become a child of God or give your life to Christ. How you committed your life to Christ. And number four, the difference Christ has made in your life.
So when you're telling your testimony, a nice little story, don't make it an hour long. Don't drag it out. Just tell people what your life was like before Christ. You don't have to tell them every single thing. Normally, you'll get a vibe of what you need to tell them because the person that you're talking to, it will mean something to them. So tell them what your life was before Christ. I, I just, I just, Sunday was just telling somebody a little bit about my testimony. Somebody was talking to me Sunday and they said, I know you were talking to me that I need to give my life to Christ. But I just don't feel like I'm ready. And I had to go into telling her how that's what the devil does, especially to foreigners. Tell you, you got to be ready first. If you're not ready, you might as well don't give your life to Christ because you're going to be a hypocrite. If you're not ready, don't give your life to Christ because all you're going to do is backslide. That's what they tell you in the foreign country a lot of times. So they tell you, you better be ready if you're going to give your life to Christ. So a lot of people have not given their life to Christ because they've heard that foolishness for a long time. You better be ready. Well, what I told her was this. I said, first thing you better know is, even if you was ready, you couldn't live for Christ on your own. That's the first thing she needed to know. Even if you think you're ready, you can't live for God on your own. You need God to help you. So the bottom line is, whether you're ready or you're not, you need God to help you. So why are you going to wait till you're ready? And we know you will never really be ready. Because the devil will always make you know, always tell you, you're not really ready right now. So I said, so don't believe that hype about you got to be ready. I said, when you feel God move on your heart and you know you need to surrender your life, surrender your life and call on the Lord to help you that that he will strengthen you to live that Christian life when you give your life to him. You think God died for you to mess up or backslide? No, he wants you to be successful. He's on your side. So don't wait because you think you got to get yourself together first. It don't work. You will always be trying to get yourself together. And so I dropped part of my testimony on her. I said, sister, let me tell you something. I went to the upper deck in Philadelphia on Saturday nights at 2 a.m. I leave there at 5 a.m. I get home about 6 a.m. I go in my bed at 6 a.m. with ceiling spinning and just still, you know, fired up from alcohol. I get up about 930 I get myself showered up and put some clothes on and I drive to church. And if you stand close to me, you probably smell alcohol still on me. But I was in church. Was I ready? Was I ready? According to y'all, I wasn't. But here I am today. Because this foolishness that the devil tell people, you got to get ready. You're not ready yet. When God move on your heart, when you hear the call of God to surrender your life, that's when you're ready. God is ready for you. You're not ready for God. He's ready for you. We keep thinking that we got to be ready. No, when he is ready, you're ready. Tell him that foolishness when he come in the sky. When the Lord come in the sky and ready to rapture his church over here, tell him you're not ready. He said, ready or not, here I come because I'm rapturing my church. And if you're not ready, you just don't come. So why do we think we got to get ready to get saved? No, when he's ready for us, that's when we move. 
So that's part of my testimony. I drop on her. See, I was in church, alcohol coming out my pores. This is the day. And moving around clapping too. Wasn't save a lick. But eventually, the brother repented of his sin and got baptized in Jesus' name. So all those days that I was in the back of the church, was somewhere in the church, clapping with, 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 with upper deck still in my, in my system, guess what? It paid off because eventually, repented of my sins. I'm not ready yet. Oh, my goodness. So you use those four things, the order to tell your testimony. It doesn't matter if you became a Christian as an adult, you tell the, your, your, your testimony. Even if you became a Christian at an early age but walked away, you still tell your testimony. If you became a Christian at an early age and never strayed, use the same four steps, but point out some deep need or common problems that others struggle with and explain why you never had to experience it. Those methods of how... Uh, of, of how your life was before Christ, right? And, and, and then what happened when you realized you needed Christ and then what you had to do to receive Christ and how your life is now with Christ. It never changes. We're all born into sin. And even if you was born into a Christian family and your parents were saved, you still got to get baptized in Jesus' name. You still got to get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in actuality, no matter who you are, you still have to go this route to tell people about before you were saved. When you realize you got to get saved. And then what you had to do to get saved. And now that you're saved out of your life, you still got to go that route because nobody is born saved. As a baby, when you're born, yes, if you die as a baby, you go to heaven, but you're not born saved. So everyone got to get saved. So those methods still work no matter where you fit in in the category. Good friendships are usually intentional rather than accidental. Developing friendship with unbelievers often require going the second mile. Taking some risk and moving outside your own comfort zone. And with our busy lifestyle, these kinds of relationships take planning. If you don't plan to cultivate friendships with unbelievers, you will find that you will never have time to do so. We should make our plans counting on God to direct us. Usually, when you first get saved, that's when you are at your best leading people to Christ. Why do you think that is? When you are first saved and just get into the church, that's when you're at your best reaching, winning people to the Lord. Why? Because you had a lot of friends where you're coming from. So you're going back to those friends to be a witness to them. And as you live for God and God strengthen you, before you know it, you don't even mess with those friends no more. And so now all you have is around you save people. So now you become ineffective in reaching the loss. 
So I'm teaching you this so all of us can realize we got to go back into the world, not live like the world. The Bible says be of be in the world, but not of the world. And so we need to go back there and realize we got to go make some friends. You can't be standoffish. You're not better than them. You just happen to receive the revelation and you respond in obedience and faith to the revelation. And now you are living for God and you're supposed to be so passionate about that, that you want everyone to experience what you're experiencing. Now, I will say this. Some people, I feel bad what is happening um, in the church. Some in, in some instances is people aren't living for God the way they need to. And so they feel like they're spinning their wheels and they feel like, well, what am I getting out of this anyway? I don't feel like anything is happening in my life. And so if you feel that way, you're not going to be a witness. I believe that's a big problem. I believe that's a big part of it is that whatever Christian life we're living, if we're not, if, if, if we don't think it's worth it or it's exciting or, you know, we are receiving anything out of it. We're not telling anybody about it. We told people about it when we first came to Christ because we saw the transformation immediately. Come on, somebody. When you first came to Christ and you realized Jesus Christ is God Almighty and you repented of your sins, you got baptized in Jesus' name, you got filled with his spirit and spoken tongues, that is transformation that you can see immediately. So now you're excited to go tell your friends, guess what? I talk with tongues. Are you kidding me? Something happened to me. I got baptized in Jesus name. And so something happened to us immediately. So we're excited to go tell about that because we can tell something happened to me. And since then, nothing has happened to us. Now, for something to have happened to you at the beginning, you had to do something. Don't forget that. You had to come out of your comfort zone to raise your hand to say, I want to be baptized today. You had to come out of your comfort zone to guess what? Whenever the time was for the baptism, you had to get undressed and put on this robe or put on some other kind of clothes and you had to get baptized. You had to dry yourself off. You had to do some stuff to experience that change that you were going to tell people about. You had to experience some change. So the question is, have you done anything like that since then to experience change and go tell anybody about it? And so because we have not taken the other step that we need to take so we can experience more changes in our life that God is doing, we're not being witnesses because we need to sell people on something. And if nothing happened to us, what are we going to sell them? Only when something is happening in your life can you tell somebody about Jesus. And because, listen to me, if you witness to people and they don't sense uh, excitement and passion coming from you when you're talking to them, 
that also is an issue. So it still comes back to, are you experiencing anything new in your life now? So if you're not witnessing, if you're not befriending people, it's because you are not witnessing anything in your life right now. And so you don't know what to tell them. You don't feel like you need to share anything with them because nothing going on with me. So what am I going to tell them? So that is what the issue is with a lot of people not witnessing. You're not going to sell shoes if you don't think they're worth selling. Whatever it is that you want people to go to, our habit, as we know, give you some worldly stuff if you were never in the world, but worldly stuff, I'd say it all the time. When you went someplace that you thought was good, whether it was a good restaurant, uh huh, whether it was a nice trip you took someplace, whether it was the latest club that you went to, whether it was a new tequila that you just drank, I can go on and on, a new bottle of wine you just drank, whatever it was that you sampled and it was good, you telling somebody, if it ain't but the closest person to you, girl or yo man, but somebody else will be invited by you to partake in that thing because it meant something to you. It did something to you. And the same thing for Christ. When we got saved, it did something to us. So we were telling people then. But the question is, do we feel like Christianity, our relationship with God, is doing anything for us right now? And if you're not witnessing, that's your answer. If you're not befriending the world, that's your answer. Whether you want to believe it, agree with it or not, if you're not witnessing, what you are saying is, this ain't happening in my life. I'm not seeing change. So you don't know what to go tell people. And even when you go tell them, they're not doing anything because in their mind, well, you don't even seem excited about that. So even when you go to tell them they need to get saved, they're like, you don't look like you're having a good time being saved. We got to make friends with people that are not saved. And this is not practical that the church has done over the years. The church, even when the church went out and witnessed, the church went out and witnessed in a condemning way. You better get saved. You ain't been baptized. You better get baptized. That's what we've done over the years. I was on a call today. I'm done. I was on a call today. Um, UPCI, listen, man, there's so much good in this organization that the few bads, I don't know where you're going to be in what organization you're going to be in that don't have some bad, but the good that we have in our organization, unbelievable. So in the background, some people have been working. They're trying to figure out how to better evangelize the urban areas in our metro areas. That's what they've been working on. And they've been getting together, trying to figure out what's the best way to do it, what's the most effective way how to do it, and they've been brainstorming. Today was another brainstorming meeting, which I had the privilege of being a part of. They're flying us out, a few of us, certain people, flying us out to Detroit, Michigan, on June 16th. I just saw the schedule today. 
And the whole time we're going to be, be in Detroit, we're going to be having meetings in different places with different influential people in Detroit. Because the goal is, how will we reach Detroit with the gospel? What's going to be the most effective way? And one of the ways they've already identified is getting your church building to be a multi-purpose usage building. That's one of the first way have already been discovered. We're going to see three buildings that they're trying to use or they might look to purchase as a multi-purpose usage building. And so we're going to walk the streets of Detroit, drive the streets of Detroit, meet with the commissioner, the mayor, all of the people that have influence to find out the need in the city. And, and the churches that are in Detroit that are UPCI are going to do their best to know what they can incorporate in their church to make their church a multi-purpose, the building a multi-purpose building to reach the urban area in Metro Detroit. The bottom line is this. I'm smiling because this church, what you all are hearing, and please don't believe that I'm saying this because of me. What you all are hearing are cutting edge and, and ahead of the game stuff. Don't sit on it. Don't sit on it. Here we are getting ready to purchase a property that we already said. Yeah, we like the ballet studio being there because guess what? We can, you know, have a, a, a hand in, you know, connecting with them to reach people that are part of the ballet studio. That's what our organization is trying to figure out how to use the building as multipurpose use. We already walk in there with that. We already say we want to do after school care program, helping kids with homework and things like that. We've already said, which we've already started, we want to do our Celebrate Recovery in there. We've already talked about we want to have a coffee house in there. These are things we talked about not knowing this program. This is why they recruited me to be in a program. Because somebody told them that church is getting ready to purchase some property and they want to use that building to be multi-purpose usage. And they've already got somebody in the building that when they purchase it, it will already be that as they go out the gate. And somebody say, oh, we need to talk to them. Because they already have the idea of using their building to be a multi-purpose use building. You don't think I fuss with God. Brother D, I fuss with God to say, there was a lot of churches in Hamilton, and I'm saying, God, why can't you give us one of these churches? They're not really teaching any truth in these buildings anyway. It's me and God talking. I'm saying, these churches around here, what are they telling them? They don't know how to tell them how to be saved. They don't know how to tell them all of these things that you are one God. We can just get one of, just give us one of these buildings, you know, make the church just decide they want to sell it to us. He never did that because his intent, what he's showing the people that are willing is, I don't want no traditional church building. That's what he's showing. The, that's what he's trying to show his church. I don't want, COVID showed us that. I don't want no traditional steeple church building. I want a building that's multifunctional that you can use to reach every people in your community. That's what God is trying to do is reach every people. We cannot be church minded and locked into how the traditional way of church has always been gone. God wants to reach the world before he returns and he is looking for the church who will say, God, whatever 
whatever method you want to use, I'm ready. I'm not, re- I'm not willing to just stay the traditional way. I want to do whatever it takes. He started up by allowing COVID to happen to see if we are catching the vision. Because when COVID hit, we became really creative. Church in the parking lot, church in the field, church in, 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 in all different kind of places, in the basement, wherever. We were having church every place that we never thought we would be having it. You think he's allowing that just so we can go back to what we used to do? You, you think he's saying, okay, after I allow COVID to come and mess around, I now want you all to go back to your old ways of how you've been doing church. That's not what he's doing. There's going to have to be a different method used to reach our world. And part of it will be the church, whatever the church is using in North America as a building. It can't just be this place where when you come in, it's all about church. It has to be a building that says we're trying to reach people. Whatever that looks like, we're trying to reach people. Whatever it looks like, we're trying to reach people. And some of it is going to really look different than what you've been accustomed to because we're trying to reach people. We're not just trying to get y'all saved so y'all can run the aisle and be glad that you're saved and glad that you're talking tongues. What about the lost people that are outside of the walls? Who is going to them? Who is going to them? Who is going to reach them? Or are we just going to stay in our building and run aisles? Strategic evangelism. we got to make it practical. And that means we're going to have to befriend unsaved people. And when we befriend them, we got to pray for them and let God direct us on all what we talked about here tonight so we can reach them. Let's stand. There's no time to be stagnant. God is calling you to grow. And if you reject God's call for growth, you're going to start dying. You might be tired right now. You might be frustrated. And you might even have a complaint that, Lord, I haven't seen anything really supernatural that has transpired and happened in my life in a long time. So I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. I know you're real, God, and I know if I die one day, I'm going to heaven. But as far as the day-to-day stuff, God, I'm not seeing anything happening in my life. And so I just kind of been just on neutral, God. And God is wanting you to know you have to make a declaration and be sincere about it that you are willing now to grow. Because God knows when you're willing to grow and when you're not. God leaves us to ourselves when we want to do what we want to do. He leaves us to our own devices when we want to do what we want to do. It's not until how many times we've read when Jesus walked the earth and he rolled up on people, he didn't start doing stuff for them, did he? What did he do? He asked them. He asked them, Brother D. The blind man. God know the man want to see. 
But Jesus still says, what would you have me to do? That tells you he just don't roll up and do stuff. You have to want it and then he will provide it. You have to want it. And so if you don't want to grow, he's not going to make you grow. You have to want to befriend people that are unsaved and then he will help you. But you have to first want it. If you don't want it, then he leaving you alone till you want it. Because God already know if you don't want something when it's given to you, you don't care anything about it and you won't do nothing with it. If you didn't want it. If you want it, then you'll do something about it. And so that's what God is after for every one of us in this church. Do we want it? Do we want to reach our lost world? Do we want to befriend lost people and begin to pray for them and begin to do stuff and start up spiritual conversation using spiritual methods till the point where they really begin to understand when we talk about the things of God to now they want to know more and now they want to give their life to God. Do we want to take the time or we don't have time for that because everything is moving so fast. We need to move fast. And so now we're saying, hey, you baptized yet? God don't want you moving that fast. No matter how fast this world is moving, God's way of doing things is still the same. So unfortunately, we might be trying to speed God up. You can't speed him up. But God won't change his method, or, or should I say God won't change the way he does things to reach people. So we can't speed up the process. So we might as well just humble ourselves and just let God direct us in how we're going to reach people. Some people will start to respond quickly. Some of the people that are unsaved that we're reaching, they will respond quickly. Others take a long time. You can't leave them, though. Got to work with them. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening our eyes and our ears, Lord God, that we will get a different understanding of what you're doing in this end time. Jesus, I pray that every heart and every mind, oh God, that have heard the word tonight, whether they are online, listening, watching, or they're here in the house of the Lord, I pray that for every person that will truly, Lord God, turn their face towards you and, Lord, sincerely request of you and require of you and inquire of you to God use them to be a witness, to use them to befriend the lost, oh God, to minister and to reach the lost, almighty God, to become a disciple maker, Lord God, for every person, Lord, that sincerely communicate this to you, Lord. I pray, God, that in no time you will begin to work through them and in them, Lord God, to begin to lead lost people into a relationship with you. Have your way tonight, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to take the word of God and apply it, Lord God, in our life where it will become a part of us, that we're not just mere hearers of the word of God, but the word will become a part of us and we will become doers of your word. I pray tonight, Lord God, that a change will take place deep down within our soul and that your thoughts will become our thoughts and that your ways will be
become our ways, Almighty God. And we will do all we can to mimic you, Lord God, to follow after you, Lord God, and to do what it is that you want us to do. I pray tonight, Lord God, by faith that your will be done, that, Lord, you will encourage your people tonight, that your people will encourage themselves as well in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, we will not allow our situation that is present to distract us, to get us to go in the way of destruction, Lord God, or to stop or to resist the work and the will of God. But I pray tonight that you will stir up the gift that's inside of us. I pray tonight that, Lord, we will put our focus back on you. For, Lord Jesus, you are our central focus. And we will put our focus back on you and not allow your will to escape us, Lord. Oh, God, wake us up, Lord God, out of our sleep, Lord. Stir up the gift that's inside of us and move in a supernatural, miraculous and sovereign way in our life, Lord God, that the life of the Holy Ghost will take a hold of us, Lord, and we will begin to do what you have called us to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, have your way, Lord Jesus. Set us free, Lord God, from our thoughts that is not of you and from our ways that are not of you and help us to walk, Lord God, according to the authority of the Word and the power of the Spirit and walk in my faith and not my sight. Oh, God, we love you. We need you, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to move from this place of complacency, from this place of stagnation into a place of growth into a place of maturity, into a place of healing and wholeness, into a place where the fire of the Holy Ghost will burn within us. Oh God, help us tonight, Lord Jesus, that a change will take place deep down within our soul, individually as well as collectively. Father, hear our petition, hear our cry as we call on your name tonight. We ask you these things, Lord. Lord God, in the mighty and miraculous name of Jesus Christ, can the church say in Jesus' name, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, church. We appreciate you. Amen. Outreach Saturday. And don't forget our youth have a youth service, uh, youth event Saturday evening at 7 p.m. And we still have corporate prayer at 6.30. Come out and join us. Come out and be with us. Don't forget, give to the building fund if you can. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your night.